the hope we find in Jesus. It is not abstract. It is not just an idea. That hope is tangible. That hope is something that reaches to us, that we could touch, that we could feel, that we can experience for ourselves. Good morning, Evangel Church. Pastor Chris here. I want to take a moment to thank you for joining us for Church Online today. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to spend this time together, even though it is digital. And oh, how I long for us to all be together again in one space, in one place, lifting up the name of Jesus. But for now, we have this uh, precious opportunity to look to God's word and to spend this time together. This is truly a special season here at Evangel. We see that although the church building uh, is not open. The church is alive and active, and there's so much that God has in store for us. We've seen the Lord moving uh, through Box of Hope and us delivering hope to the doorstep of those in need uh, here in New Jersey, and even now it's spreading across the country. We have also seen many people through our online services coming to faith in Jesus and finding uh, hope in him. And we also announced to you a few weeks ago that we are moving towards a church merger with another neighboring church in the central New Jersey area. In fact, they're in Woodbridge, Island, called Metro Park Church. They're a fellow Assembly of God church, 84 years old, and uh, we believe that this is how God has called us to fulfill the vision of changed lives, changing communities at this hour, that we are moving towards becoming one church in multiple locations. I want to thank you for being a part of our town hall this past Monday night. Many of you were a part. You asked some great questions, and And uh, we are looking forward to our members meeting on June 9th. And uh, we are going to continue to explore this and ultimately vote on this merger. So your participation is so necessary and uh, and valued. And we want to hear more of your questions if you have them. So uh, continue to submit them and continue especially to pray that the Lord's will would be accomplished in this season. Well, as we've been walking through this season, we've been in a series called Hope Rising, where we are studying this biblical concept of hope and how our lives can be rooted in the hope of Jesus Christ. And today we are diving into a very important topic. It's very connected to the message that you heard last week, and it is about something called the blessed hope. And so I want to invite you today to open your Bibles and let's jump in to God's word. So if you'll take a moment with me, let's open our Bibles together to the book of Titus chapter 2. It's found in the New Testament scriptures. And uh, and as we're doing that, I want to share just a little bit more about my family. Uh, Our daughter, Lily, she is uh, now six years old. It's amazing that she's just come to the end of her uh, kindergarten year. In fact, just this week, uh, her kindergarten teacher came and dropped off a special certificate. And we had a very special moment. Certainly not how we thought uh, her first year of school in kindergarten would end, uh, but we're thankful that we had a, a, a good time together making special memories. Well, about a year ago, Lily um, went to a doctor's appointment where they did an eye exam on her, and as they looked at this eye exam, they determined that she would need prescription glasses. And so we went through a process of having to get uh, them fitted, having to actually understand what the prescription would be all about. And I could remember going there and uh, taking a lot of time and fussing over all the different uh, lenses. And um, it got me really thinking about something I think is so important as we jump into God's word today. It's really uh, a lot about lenses. And so many of you, you might have prescription lenses at home and and uh, and you, you need them so that you could see clearly clearly what's in front of you. And uh, what I have is I have four different sets of uh, glasses here, and each of them have a different prescription, a different lens. And when I hold them up, it causes the way that I see everything around me to be shaped. And right now, everything is very, very blurry. And I'm going to get a headache if I wait too long with those. If I put these ones on, um, my son Jojo loves these. Uh, They make everything a lot darker. If I... um, put on these ones. Hmm, everything's a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer as I go through that. And then these ones, uh, these are some thick lenses. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot going on there. 
you know, each of these lenses shape the way that I see. And I want to just share something with you that's so important that every day you wake up, you choose to view the world around you through a lens. And I promise you that whether you realize it or not, it is the truth. You can view it through the lens of social media. You can view it through the lens of whatever um, news station you might look to. You can view it through the lens of others' opinions or, or through your own feelings or emotions. But I promise you, if you'll allow yourself as a follower of Jesus, Jesus to come to to the Lord each day and look to his word. The scriptures truly can be the greatest lens for how we can view everything in the world around us. If not, if we only go by the news articles that we read and the things that other people say and the the best or worst things we find out there on social media, what we'll do is we're going to develop what I would call a distorted, imbalanced, out of focus view and we will not be looking and seeing and recognizing the things that God ultimately wants us to see. And so in the same way that many of you, as we come to approach God's word this morning, you take glasses and you have to put a lens on because you want to make sure you can see in focus. Let's all do that today as we open God's word and open our hearts to receive from him. Would you pray with me this morning as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we, just like uh, someone putting on glasses, making sure the lens is in focus, Lord God, we come and bow our lives to you, Lord God. We submit ourselves to your word and we ask you now Lord to show us this world in light of your truth in light of your promises in light of your word Lord God shape the way we see today may we see like you and may we understand this incredible truth in promise that comes to us today and can root and ground our lives in your hope in your name we pray amen Amen. Well, let's look here at Titus chapter 2. And it's an incredible promise from God that is meant to motivate and challenge our lives. It says this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This passage of scripture speaks of the incredible truth of what God has done for us and how that is meant to shape and change our lives. At Evangel Church, our vision is clear. We are changed lives, changing communities. We believe that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that it changes everything. It changes us and it shapes the way that we now are meant to live our lives to share his love with others. In the same way we see here, it says the grace of God has appeared. How has the grace of God appeared? Through Jesus Christ, who's come, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, and then rose again. That has appeared to us, and now God's word to us, he teaches us that if we want to follow Jesus, we are meant to live our lives. Say no to ungodliness. Say no to the wrong things. Live a life controlled, not by our flesh or our desires um, or, or our emotions, but by the Holy Spirit of God, leading us and guiding us to live that way today, to not be shaped by the opinions of others or by the world around us, but to be transformed by the word of God, the renewing of our minds as we spend time in his word and in his presence. While we wait, the Bible says, while we wait, verse 13, for what the blessed hope, would you say that with me or type it in the comments? The blessed hope. What is the blessed hope? There is a hope that the Bible talks about that you and I are called to wait upon. You know, there's so many moments in scripture where it talks about waiting on God. And while we wait, the Lord can strengthen us. But here we can wait with an amazing sense of hope because there's something the Bible describes as a blessed hope waiting for us. What is that? It is the return of Jesus. Not only did Jesus die for our sins and rise again and ascend to be with the Father in heaven, 
In fact, he has promised that he will one day come again, that we will be where he is, that he will come to his church. He has not left us alone. There is a promise that not only is Jesus our redeemer, he is also our soon coming king. And so this is meant to shape the way we live our lives. So we live our lives pushing away the wrong things and eager, as the Bible says, to do what is good. I want to invite you to turn now with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because I want to talk more about this idea of the blessed hope, which is ultimately rooted in the return of Jesus. You know, this is something that I think often isn't talked about as much as it was uh, maybe a few decades ago or certainly in the early church, but I want you to know this is one of the most central parts of our faith. It's something so important to remember, and especially in seasons of trial and suffering, we must must take heart in this truth, in this promise that the Lord is returning soon. One day he is coming again at an hour we do not know, but we must prepare ourselves for that. And we must live our lives rooted in that hope, the hope of his return. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it really unpackages a few things that um, shape the way that we need to think about this hope. Now, Jesus made this very clear promise to us that he will come again. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 3, he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me so that where uh, I am, you may also be. So Jesus makes this promise. I am coming back in Acts chapter 1 after Jesus ascended into heaven. The angel spoke to the disciples and said, you don't know the day and the hour the Lord will return. That timetable isn't for you to understand or know now, but, but go and get busy doing what the Lord told you to do. So there is this incredible promise. That promise of his return is meant to produce hope in our hearts and lives. Now we think about the hope that we have as Christians. There are two definitions that you can have for the word hope. One definition is kind of similar to a wish. It is a wishful desire. The other definition for hope means a confident expectation. And today I want you to know the idea of Jesus's return is not some wishful desire. Well, I hope it happens someday. No, it is a promise that God has made. It is a promise that the Lord himself has made. It is all throughout scripture we see it. In fact, uh, we see that there are five times as many references to the second return of Christ or the second coming of Christ than there were to the first. So there are a lot of prophecies, promises made about this idea that Jesus will return again. And our lives are meant to be shaped by this reality and by this truth. In fact, for the early church, there was a statement, a way that they greeted one another. And it's this beautiful uh, sentiment. And if you really think about it, it shapes everything. It was the lens that they saw everything through. You know what this word was? It was Maranatha. Come on, right now, if you see that word on the screen, say it out loud, Maranatha. In fact, just type it uh, into the text or into your comments if you're able to do that while you're watching this. Maranatha. What it means is this, our Lord comes or Jesus is coming. Or even another way to say that is come Lord Jesus. It was this declaration and they would greet one another as they saw one another. While we often will say things like God bless you or good to see you, they would say Maranatha and what they were declaring is our Lord is returning. Our Lord is coming again. Do you know how much that shaped the way that they lived their lives? They were continually reminding themselves that they were to be ready, to be anticipating, to be expecting that any moment the Lord could come again. Now, maybe if you'll think back, if you've been walking with the Lord for many decades, was there ever a time for you where you were living with this imminent sense, this incredible sense that man, at any moment the Lord could come? I could remember when I was in, uh, a new believer, that was something that just always uh, was on my mind and thoughts. But over the years, it can be easy, can it, for maybe that to fade into the background but I believe you and I, we must be firmly rooted in this expectation, in this blessed hope, because it is meant to shape our lives. So I want to take a few moments and help you understand. Maybe you haven't um, understood what this is all about. And the Bible teaches very clearly and gives us a lot to look forward to. So there are three things that I want to share with you about the return of Jesus and what that will look like, what the blessed hope is 
all about. And so uh, the first word I want to talk to you about is the resurrection. And this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it says in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This word fallen asleep in him. If you'll remember back to John chapter 12, when Lazarus um, had died, Jesus said, no, our brother Lazarus has fallen asleep. This was a biblical concept that was used to describe someone who had passed away, who had uh, died and entered into death. And so it says those who have fallen asleep in the same way that Jesus rose, one day they will rise. And for a few verses later in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what we see here, it says the, um, you know, that at the moment Jesus returns, there will be this resurrection. Those who have died and put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says they will rise first and they will what? Be with the Lord because he promised I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back to take you to be with myself. In Revelation chapter 20 verse 6, it says the blessed and holy are those who are a part of the first resurrection. The second death has no power on them. You know, there's really two realities you could live with. One is that you could be born once and die twice. The Bible talks about this idea of second death. What is that? That we die, yes, we physically die, but there is also a spiritual death that comes in the end for those that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, those whose sins have not been forgiven by him. And so you can be born once and die twice. That's what the Bible teaches. Or you could be born twice and only die once. What does that mean? Jesus talks about it, to be born again. That if we want to follow him, we can only follow him. We can only be his followers. We can only be in relationship with God if we have been born again, meaning that we've confessed our sins to Jesus. We've repented, which means turned from our sins and have now committed our lives to follow him. And when that happens, yes, we all will die physically in this life or we'll get to the next part, the next word that's a part of the return of Jesus. If Jesus returns and we have not died, but, uh, but there is only one death. And that second ultimate death at the very end um, would not be something for us because we would live with the Lord forever. So my prayer is that that connects with your heart and that you understand that. So the first thing is resurrection. Those that have fallen asleep in Christ will rise first. The second part of the return of the Lord is a word called the rapture. And maybe you've heard about that. Maybe you've seen a movie about that back in the 90s or early 2000s. Um, but the rapture is this biblical concept, this promise from God that the living Christians who are in Christ would be taken away. First Thessalonians chapter 4 goes on to talk about what this looks like. It says, after that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So this is this, um, this idea of being seized or caught up or taken away, snatched away. It means to be rescued. So there is this promise that one day as the Lord returns, that those, if we've passed away, we will be raised and be reunited with him. If we are still alive and that moment comes, then we will be caught up and we will, in a glimmer of an eye, in just a moment, we will be changed and we will be in his presence to see him. And it, and it talks about the uncertainty of the timing of this. It could happen at any moment. It is not for us to know the day or the hour or the time. Jesus himself declared that. Look here in Matthew chapter 24, verses 39 through 41. It says, that is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 41 says, two women will be grinding with a hand mill and one will be taken and the other will be left. So there is this reality that any moment, whenever the Lord comes, those who are in Christ, those who are with the Lord, they will be caught up with him. This is this concept of the rapture, this promise from the Lord of what will happen in the return of Jesus, this blessed hope that we have to look forward to. 
You know, and, and as we think about that, there's a, there's a promise that comes after that. And it's the final word that I want to share with you. It's the word reunion, that there's going to be the resurrection, there's going to be the rapture, and there's going to be the reunion that Christians will be with God forever. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18 touch on this. It says, after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together to meet the clouds with the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. In verse 18, it says, what should we do with this? Encourage each other with these words. This is not meant to be something just mystical or to cause fear or anxiety or panic. It is meant to be an encouragement. You know, for these early believers, they were living in such a time, a time of persecution, a time of challenges, a time where uh, even their own lives were being threatened because of the conditions of the empire, the Roman empire in which they lived. There were so many obstacles and challenges. And one thing that they drew great comfort and encouragement from was that Jesus has not left them alone. Yes, he sent the Holy Spirit, but also he would one day return again to bring to an end all the suffering, all the sickness, all the disease, all the brokenness that they were living through in this age. The same is true for us today. I know that this uh, COVID-19 crisis and this pandemic has shown a great vulnerability to us. It's brought the whole world to its knees, but we don't have to live hopeless lives. Instead, we lift our eyes from this world, from the things that maybe we were putting our hope and trust in that have shown themselves to be like sinking sand, to be unstable foundations. And when we look to the Lord, we're reminded this is all uh, going to pass away. This is not our final home. We have the hope that one day Jesus will come and return and redeem and rescue and save us from all that we're experiencing now. And so what do we do? We live our lives declaring, Maranatha, Lord, come, Jesus, come and do what you've promised to do. This is meant to be a word of encouragement, of strengthening, of hope for us to live our lives today. But not just that. It is meant to shape the way that we walk out our journey as followers of Jesus. You know, it goes all the way back in Titus. It says, live our lives eager to do what? To do good. To do what the Lord would have us to do. To have lives that are shaped by uh, following Jesus Christ as his disciples, but also lives shaped through the lens of looking towards his return. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see a whole section of two chapters, chapter 24 into chapter 25, where Jesus is talking extensively about the end times, about his return, about um, what it would be like. And there is two uh, predominant themes that come to the forefront. One is a, a theme of preparation, and another is a theme of stewardship. Uh, we see the first one in preparation where we see the, the, the ten virgins and they have uh, their lanterns and, and seeing if they are in fact ready. In fact, in Matthew 25 verses 1 through 10, it unpackages that. It says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to wait on the bridegroom who was coming. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not have any oil with them. And the wise, however, they took oil in jars along with their lamps. And it was a long, drawn-out time. And while that was happening and while they were waiting, one of their supplies diminished and they had no reserves. And so five of them were found ready, waiting. Five of them were not. They had allowed there to be a diminishing. And I believe that the, the more drawn out it has been since the timing of the Lord's first appearing and his, his soon coming, we are ultimately living in maybe one of those two places. Perhaps as we've been waiting on the Lord and we've been looking towards him, maybe your hope has diminished. Maybe, not that you don't believe the Lord will return, but you're not living in that confident, constant expectation that it could be at any moment 
Some of you, you are. It is shaping the way you live your lives. And I know for many, it can be easy to get caught up and watch a lot of videos and read a lot of books and try to understand the timing and try to understand all of the details and speculate about when and how and where and, and all of these uh, biblical prophecies and trying to connect them to real-time events. And, and while it's important to be aware, to understand what's happening in the world around us and in these things, I believe the greatest use of our time is not to try to prescribe when this exactly will take place, but to ensure that we are prepared when it does take place. The Lord said, we will not know the day or the hour. We will not know the exact timing. And so for me, I want to make sure that I'm busy, that I, I am doing everything I can to live my life with this hope and as a response to the hope, the blessed hope of the Lord's return. So there are three principles that I just want to give you today to help you live a life shaped and ready, rooted in this hope, the hope of his return. The first word I'll give you is this, to be ready, to be ready. It says in verse 44 of Matthew 24, it says, so you must be ready. Say it with me, type it with me, be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. You know, Jesus also talks about there's a lot of things we could look at in the world, uh, war and rumors of war and all kinds of things. In fact, as we look at the conditions of the world around us, we can see so many similarities. We can see so many signs pointing to the fact that, yes, the Lord's return is drawing nearer and nearer. You know, what it's likened to are like birth pains that is happening before uh, a mother would give birth to a child. You know, you'll see these contractions, you'll see these pains points and I believe the more we see them it's it's showing the signs that we're getting closer and closer when exactly will that be the Lord's clear we won't know the exact timing or hour it'll be at a moment that we maybe even least expect but be ready that's the first thing that I would share with you the second is to be holy live a life that is set apart the word holy means set apart live a life that is unto the Lord make sure that we are pushing away that which is wrong just as it said in Titus fleeing from that which is unwholesome unrighteous sinful and clinging to the Lord living a life that is following after him be holy. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, therefore, my brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you. Let nothing move you and always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So be holy, be set apart. Make sure that you are clinging to what's right and pushing away what is wrong. But the final thing I would say is be busy. Be busy doing the work that Jesus called us to do. Be good stewards of this hour. Another story that Jesus gives about his return is the, the story of the stewards that are given uh, talents. And many of you might know it as the parable of the talents where one was given a certain amount and another a different amount and finally another a different amount. And how each of them stewarded that in their master's absence made all the difference. And two of them did well. They made the most of the time they had waiting on their master's return. And the other one in fear, he buried it. He did nothing with it. And he is chastised. He is pushed aside. He is rebuked for what he did. But those that made the most of it give us an example of how we are to live our lives. We model generosity. As we live in light of his return, it motivates us to share the love of Christ with as many as we can, to live our lives being a part of the kingdom work, giving of ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasure, leading the way with generosity to make a difference for his kingdom kingdom. We allow ourselves to continually think, how can we as believers, how can we as a church make sure we're doing everything we can to see the kingdom of God move forward in this hour because Maranatha, the Lord is coming. So that's what I would challenge you with today. Just as it says there at the end, let me emphasize 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the second half. It says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you need to know your labor is not in vain. All that you've done, all that you've invested and all that you've poured into the church body, it's not in vain. Let's give ourselves fully to what the Lord would have for us to do. 
Maranatha, the Lord is coming. This is our blessed hope. This is the lens we must choose. Not the lens uh, of what the world has to say that looks darker and darker. Not the lens of other people's opinions. Not the lens of your greatest news stories and those that you uh, might look to, but the lens of God's word, of his truth, of his return. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? And as you're doing that, I want to just give you an opportunity to make sure that you're ready. As you're watching this, wherever you find yourself, you have to ask that question, am I ready? What does my relationship with the Lord look like today? If this was the moment, if this was the hour, am I right with God? And today it's not about how many good things you've done or how many bad things you've done. At the end of our lives, there's only one thing that will matter. What have we done with Jesus Christ? Have we embraced him as our Lord and Savior? Has we confessed our sins to him? Have we committed our whole selves to following him? Or have we been walking apart from him? Today, only you can answer that question. Are you far from God today? Today, I want you to know you're no further than your heart's turn. One heart's turn back to him. Today, the Lord is standing with his arms open wide, ready to embrace you, ready to give you a brand new start, a brand new life, to forgive you of your sins, to lead you forward in a life that he has prepared for you. But today you have to do a few things if you're ready. You have to make sure that you have been right with him, meaning that you have confessed your sins to him, that you've turned from your sins, and that you now have committed your life to follow him. I'd love to pray a prayer with you if you're ready to take that step this morning. Would you repeat these words with me? There is no magic in these words. It is really a heart that is crying out that you're ready to follow Jesus. So pray with me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. Today, I believe that you died and that you rose again for me, that you have the power to forgive me of all my sins as I turn away from them today and commit to follow you. Today, Lord, I commit my whole self fully to you and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to celebrate this decision that you've just made. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make. And I want you to know you're not alone. If you're willing to reach out and connect, we would love to give you a special gift. In fact, I have a book here called Following Jesus, Seven Steps to Beginning a Relationship with God, where you can learn about prayer, about reading the Bible, about what does it mean to be baptized, about sharing your faith. All you need to do is text the word Jesus to the number on the screen uh, or in the chat, and you can get started. And we will send this to you digitally and help you begin a brand new relationship with Jesus. And for everyone else, maybe you've been following the Lord. Would you take this word and allow it to encourage you, to allow it to motivate you, to continue to live your life set apart for him? I want to pray for you right now, right where you find yourself, that the Lord would allow us all to live in light of his return, this blessed hope, that our lives will be shaped by that word, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Come on right now, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this word, for this encouragement. And in the same way it encouraged the early church, it encourages us. The same way, Lord God, that you had their lives so shaped, Lord God, with this reality that you are coming at any moment. We renew our focus, Lord. We look to you and we desire with everything in us to fully give ourselves to your work, Lord. We will be ready. We will, Lord God, be a holy people, a set-apart people. And Lord God, we will be busy doing your work, making choices, Lord God, positioning our lives, stewarding everything you've entrusted to us so that we can make the most impact for your kingdom at this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. I pray your blessing upon your people. I pray you continue to go before them today and this week, Lord God. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and I pray you have a great week this week.